Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. This is probably going to be the easiest search in your Bible unless it's on your phone. First chapter, first book of the Bible, first verse. Last week, Pastor Terry uh, did an awesome job taking us through the entire book of Genesis in a general flyover of the 50 chapters. And this morning, we're going to start in chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, Genesis 1, 1 is a summary of the entire chapter of Genesis 1. And it's been said that Genesis 1, verse 1, is like a doorway into the Bible. Because if you can believe, if you can accept Genesis 1, 1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then there is nothing in the rest of the Bible that you will not be able to receive. For example, Jesus walking on the water or or feeding the 5,000 or being raised from the dead. If you can believe that God created the heavens and the earth then those things will be easy for you to believe. And as we're studying the book of Genesis, if we're going to be good theologians, and by the way, everybody in this room is a theologian whether you realize it or not. You're just either a good one or a bad one, okay? But if we're going to be good theologians, we need to make sure that we're asking the right questions when we go into a passage. Otherwise, we could miss the point of what the author is attempting to communicate to us. And when we come to a text like Genesis 1, we need to understand that Moses is not writing, he was not writing to postmodern America. In our culture, we have questions that they were not asking. Questions like, does God exist? What about evolution? Or how old is the earth? And the one that a lot of people ask when they read Genesis is, what about the dinosaurs? Right? Somebody texted me this week in our church and asked me about that, that very question. What about the dinosaurs? And so I know that th- those are questions that we would ask in modern America. But we need to be careful that we don't try to make Genesis answer questions, primary questions that Moses was not primarily seeking to answer in the book. Because if so, we will, if we do that, we will miss the primary point of the passage. So you might be asking, what is the point then of Genesis? Well, back in Moses' day, the culture uh, of the ancient world was polytheistic. In other words, they believed in many gods. They were not asking, does God exist? They were saying, gods exist. We want to know what they're like. And so the point of Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 1, The point is, is God. In the beginning, thank you. Who said that? In the beginning, God. God. He is the subject of Genesis 1, and he is the subject of Genesis, the, the entire chapter. As a matter of fact, God is the subject of the entire Bible. And what what Moses is doing is he is writing to assure the young Jewish nation that had come out of Egypt that is going to be surrounded by the nations that are idolatrous. He is writing them to assure them that the God of Israel and him alone created the heavens 
and the earth, and that they can trust him, they can serve him, and they can worship him, the one true God who had, who had revealed himself to them. And so, you know, when God reveals himself, he typically does it in two ways. Theologically speaking, there's two ways that he reveals himself. General revelation and special revelation. Now, you're going to need to put on your, your uh, thinking caps this morning, okay? Because these are two terms that are going to go throughout my entire message. If you miss the meanings of these at the beginning, you're, the rest of the message may not make sense to you. But he uses general revelation and special revelation to reveal himself to his people. General revelation reveals, this is what the definition is, it, it reveals general truths about God to all people at all times in all places. For example, general revelation reveals us that, to us that God exists, that he is intelligent, he's glorious, and he's powerful. And creation is one of the primary vehicles that God uses to reveal himself through general revelation. So general re revelation is general truths that are often found in creation that teach us things about God. Psalm 19, verse 1 through 3 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. In other words, creation clearly testifies that God is, that he exists, that he is glorious, and that he's intelligent and powerful. Romans 1, 19 through 20 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Now look, he's going to be talking about creation here. It says, Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So what scripture is teaching here is that every person who has ever walked the face of the earth, every person who has, has ever lived has been given what we call general revelation, general knowledge about God through creation. And because of this knowledge that we have all received, we are without excuse. We know every person, even if you don't think you know this, deep down inside, we all know that God exists and that we are going to be accountable to him at one point, at some point. And so we need to understand that creation was designed by God so that when we see like a glorious sunset or we're at home and we hear a, a thunderstorm come over, in our, come over our homes and our windows rattle and we can hear power or we witness the miracle of, a, of the life of a newborn child, we are witnessing glory, we're witnessing power, and we're witnessing intelligence. And God, but God does not want us to stop at creation and, and to worship the creation, those, those truths are meant to point us to the invisible God and for us to, to want to serve and worship him. So, you know, creation is full. Have you ever paid attention to creation? 
When we were kids, we, we spent a lot more time doing this. And we actually, this is a discipline of mind that I need to become more disciplined in. But creation is amazing. And there was a lot of different things I thought, what can I bring into this service this morning to get people's attention? And there's a lot of different, there's a fish that has this uh, fishing pole that has a light on the front of it. Have you ever seen that? And it wiggles it around like this, and when its prey comes up, it eats it. I mean, it's, look it up, fish with a fishing pole. It's, it's amazing. But the, the one creation that I want to bring in of the billions of creations is the bombardier beetle. The bombardier beetle. Now, that beetle looks like an ordinary beetle, right? But it has this defense mechanism that if something tries to come and attack it or it feels scared, uh, it will spray out from its rear end this hot boiling gas, and it can kill its enemies with it. Now, some of you are like, big deal, I can do that. But, <laughs> but here's how this thing works, all right? This bombardier beetle has two chambers within its abdomen. And one of them contains a substance called hydroquinone. Now, hydroquinone is a skincare product used for treating skin discoloration. You might have used that. And the other chamber contains hydrogen peroxide. Now, hydrogen peroxide is on my counter in my bathroom. I put it on wounds to see that it get all foamy, or I put it in my ears when I want to uh, kill germs. But those, those are in the chambers two chambers in the back of this beetle. Now, I'm not going to, before I go any further with this, that beetle, I don't know what it eats, but it produces these two chemicals in its, that in and of itself is ridiculously amazing, okay? But if you take those two chemicals and mix them together, guess what happens? Nothing, absolutely nothing. But there's a third chamber, that when these two chemicals go down in, God has put this catalyst within that third chamber that when they all come together, it, it brings about a, a, uh, a, a chemical reaction and an explosion happens. We're, I've got a video. I want to show you the bombardier. I, want you to, I didn't believe this thing really existed. I want you to see this video. It's, it's amazing. And I want, as you're watching it, as you're watching it, think about God. I mean, even the toad in and of itself, its tongue flying out, catching it. And then the bombardier beetle doing its duty in the belly of that toad. It's amazing. Creation was designed to reveal to all mankind that God exists and that he's awesome. And he is glorious and powerful. And he, does, he reveals himself through general revelation to all people. 
But there's a thing called special revelation, and this refers to God revealing specific truths about himself that general revelation cannot. For example, a sunset, when you look and see a glorious sunset on the beach, that does not reveal to you that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to earth and he died for us. God has chosen to use, um, to communicate these truths supernaturally. And he has different ways that he's done this over history. He's used angels. Sometimes he speaks to his people through dreams. And then there's the scripture. And with Jesus himself, he is the ultimate special revelation. When he came from heaven to earth and he revealed who the Father is. And personally, I've never had uh, dreams where, that, where I feel like God has spoken to me, or angels. But I would say that the Word of God is the primary uh, pathway through which God has, uh, has spoken to me and revealed special revelation to me. And as we move through the passage, my prayer all this week has been that God would, would take special revelation and, and that he would take general revelation and that he would reveal himself to us this morning as we're continuing to go through his scriptures And one of the first truths that's revealed in Genesis 1 about God is that God is the God of origins. God is the God of origins. Now, he has no origin. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's not embedded in his creation. He's outside of his creation. But Genesis 1 reveals that time Space and matter owe their origins to God. Time, space, and matter owe their origins to God. In the beginning, that's time. God created the heavens, that's space, and the earth, that's matter. God is the, so God is the original cause of all creation. And it's interesting that the Hebrew word for the word created, bara, is used in Scripture exclusively to describe the way that God creates. Now, it doesn't mean that God, that word does not mean that God created something from nothing. That's not what that verb means, but it does mean that when God created stuff, he produced something new, fresh, and perfect. And if you think about it, you know, God is really the only being who is truly original. He's the only being that is truly original because he created things from nothing. Think about it, from nothing. If I had a jar sitting up here and there was nothing in it, no air, nothing, and I said, create something from it, you would say, I can't do that unless you're God. He can take nothing and create something, and that's what he did. And, you know, when we create something, we basically take what God has already created from nothing, and we, we put things together, and we copy the things that God himself has already created. I went, don't do this now, but I went on to Google, and I put most famous picture. And uh, what came up was that farmer and his wife. You know that one I'm talking about? That was one of the most famous pictures in the world. That's just, you know, that's a, I could find some guys in here that look like that. But it's one of those things where we copy humans and, and paint pictures of butterflies and the, the most, uh, one of the most famous statues is this one. What is that? The thinker, right? Which is an image of a human being. So we basically just take what God has already 
created, we make it, we form it, we build it. And we follow the design from God's original creation. God is the God of origins. He is the only true one who is original. And secondly, we see in this passage that God is the God of order. This is going to go out throughout the rest of our passage. And you know, there's some of us in this room, well, we all like order. But some of us love order. You know what I'm talking about? You're the person, if I were to look at your sock drawer right now, they would all be in order and in, in the same color. If I go into your closet, it would be, everything would be color matched and, and everything would be so nice. If I go to your desk and I move a pencil over, you will get angry because you'll know that that was not what's supposed to be there. You people, I love you. I am not like that by nature. I have to make myself become orderly. But the reason that you're like that is because you are created in the image of God, and God is the God of order. And in verse 2, we're going to start moving through the passage. In verse 2, it says that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering or fluttering over the face of the water. Now this verse, verse 2, is a very dark and ominous verse. It's, it's messy. It's, it's chaotic. It, the earth is three things, formless, it's void, and it's dark. And so before God speaks, there is, we need to understand, before God speaks, there is disorder, emptiness, and darkness throughout the earth. Now, why is the earth like this? I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there, uh, and nobody was there. And the Bible doesn't tell us why it was like that. So I'm not going to come up with a theory and try to fill in the gaps, okay, if you know what I mean. Uh, if it's not in Scripture, we need to be careful that we don't go beyond Scripture and build doctrines on our theories. We've got to be careful about that. But in verse 3, God begins to speak order into darkness. You need to understand this. We're going to come back to this in just a minute. Understand the earth is chaotic. It's in disorder. It's dark. But as God speaks in verse 3, he's going to bring it into order. Here we go. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, as we continue to move forward, we're going to see, we're going to observe an orderly pattern that God lays forth throughout the six days of creation. Throughout this passage, we're going to see God said, followed by, and it was so, followed by, and God saw that it was good, concluding with, there was evening and there was morning. God is orchestrating creation in an orderly way. Verse 6 says, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. What is he talking about here? Again, I wasn't there. I'm not exactly sure. And, and actually, the things I've read, no one's exactly 100% sure what, what 
the waters above the waters were. Some have said that maybe it's this fog that was uh, hovering above the water and he's separating. He's making the skies, the atmosphere. That's the expanse that he's creating here. Some have, have uh, theories that, that this was uh, a layer of water that was actually frozen around the entire earth. It held in oxygen and, and caused plant life to grow and um, all of life to grow well. It shaded the earth from the UV rays. Uh, and then at, that at the flood, it crashed down and flooded the earth. We don't know exactly what, that uh, what the waters above is. It could be the clouds. But we do know that God is creating an area for the atmosphere. And he, it says in verse 8, And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Now we're going to go to day three. And listen, I'm going to be reading through this entire chapter. Can you believe that? We're reading the Bible at church. We're going to go all the way through this chapter here. Day three, God brings forth dry land and creates vegetation. Let's see how he does that. And God said, let the waters under the heavens, that's in the oceans, be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. I wonder what that looked like when the dry land came out of the oceans. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Now, notice that what God is doing right here is he's taking the earth and he's shaping it and he's forming it and he's systematically bringing order out of chaos. You've got to see this in the beginning here. This is a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible, God bringing order out of chaos. And he's very intentional with what he's doing. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't randomly make birds at the very beginning and just let them fly around for, uh, for a few days until he creates the heavens and the earth. No, he is systematically creating the earth. Um, the first three days, verses 3 through 10... That's what we've already read. God is strategically creating three habitations. He creates the heavens, the dry earth, and the seas. You see the order that God is doing these things in? Then on the remaining days of creation, because he is full, God is full, he fills these inhabitations with inhabitants. So again, God is the God of order. So we're going to go from day four I'm sorry, verse 11 says, And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. So he's going to start putting vegetation on the earth. Plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Now day four, God is going to create the sun, moon, and the stars. That's what's going to happen in verses 14 through 18. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. 
And God made the two lights, the two great lights. This is the moon and the star, uh, moon and the, the sun and the moon. The greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good. Now, why does it keep saying, and God saw that it was good? You see that over and over. It says, and God saw that it was good. It's almost as if God is stepping back at the end of every day and looking at his creation, evaluating it, and he goes, hmm, that's good. Why is it good? Why does he say that? It's because it's, it's performing what it was created to do. It is revealing bearing forth the praise of God through that which he has created. And God is saying, you know, that is good. On day five, verse 20, God creates the fish and birds. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Day six, we're going to go into day six, where God fills the land with animals. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things. This is where creepy people were created. <laughs> creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So right here, the animals are revealing God's glory. And after creating the animals, we're still in the sixth day. Pastor Terry talked about this last week, that God reaches uh, the climax of creation by creating Man, we are the crowning jewel of creation. So listen, this is about us right here, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created him. And in verses 28 through 31, if you look at the original Hebrew, this is in like a song form, like a hymn. It's as if God is singing this. He says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree that with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every 
beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given everything, every green plant for food. It appears that all creation that has breath in it was a vegetarian at one point, only eating vegetables, yes, (laughs) and fruits and that sort of thing. So, Is fruit a vegetable, Terry? It's a plant, okay. (laughs) And it was so. And God saw everything. Listen, and God saw, he steps back, he sees everything. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And you know, we are, as I just said, we are the crowning jewel of God's creation. We need to realize that. We need to realize that we are important to God. That is a truth that if we can get it in the right way, will change our lives And we need to understand that we are similar to all creation because like a tree or a flower or a meteor, man, we glorify God through general revelation, just like all of creation. For example, when it you know when a gymnast is doing somersaults in the air at the Olympics? Whether that person believes in God or not, they, through general revelation, are bringing glory to God, showing things that God has put into that person. Or if you hear a pianist perform a concerto, or a cook prepares fried chicken with mashed potatoes smothered in gravy. I got you, JC. I know I got you. Or someone, listen, if you do a good deed, like giving to the poor or helping someone, That is a form of general revelation because all these acts reveal who God is. They they show aspects of, of the image of God in us, whether you believe in God or not. But here's where we're different. Here's where we're set apart from all creation. The text reveals that we were created in the image of God. We were created to know God in a way that the rest of the creation that was created in the six days was not created to. We were created to know him intimately and to represent him. That is the greatest honor, to represent God. But there is a problem that that we face. Romans 1.21 says that, For although they knew God, speaking of us, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see that? Their foolish heart, this is important, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So instead of Serving and worshiping the Creator, man, we chose to serve and worship the creation, and in doing so, our foolish hearts 
were darkened. Darkened like the earth was in verse 2 of Genesis 1. You need to see, I want to show you something here. The earth was, remember it was void and empty. And empty. The earth in verse 2 is, is a picture of the condition of the human heart that is separated from God. The human heart separated from God is chaotic, it's empty, it's dark, and it's lifeless. And in the beginning when, in verse 3, when God spoke the word and he brought light, because God is a God of order, I want you to see something here. This is a foreshadowing. Verses 2 and 3 are a foreshadowing of the gospel. God is a God of order, and it says that that we were chosen by him before the foundations of the world. God has a a plan before he even, even said, let there be light. And it says that from creation... The lamb was slain. He had this plan, and he puts verses 2 and 3 to foreshadow the gospel. Because just as God spoke the word that brought light upon the darkened earth, God sent his word into our darkened world to bring light to our darkened hearts. And what is that word? Well, the apostle John in John 1 gives us the answer to that. And this is This is a parallel to Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is in the beginning God. Verses 1 and 2 are in the beginning was God. See that? Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what verses, verse 3 is. In him, get this, in him was life, and the life was the what? Light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John reveals that Jesus is the word. And in John 8, 12, Jesus proclaims, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we see here that Jesus is the true light, the special revelation that penetrates and transforms not the earth, but the hearts of men, bringing light where there is darkness, order where there is chaos, and forgiveness where there is sin and guilt. And, you know, that's the gospel and the thing that, that separates us from the rest of creation is that we, we can reveal God both through general and special revelation. We have the privilege to receive the love of God through special revelation, through Jesus. We, get, we have the privilege of understanding that God died for us to pay for our sins so that we could be made right for him. And then we have the privilege of being able to share that special revelation. No other creation created within the six days, can reveal the glory of God like we can. That is amazing. And as disciples of Jesus living in this world, general and specific revelation, they need to be working together in us, like the bombardier beetle. 
They need to be working together in us. Because as, as they work together, uh, the way we live our lives, that's the one compartment of the bombardier beetle. That's the one fluid. The way we live our lives, that's the general revelation. That needs to be going, be there also the testimony, the word of Jesus Christ in us. And as we live in this world, uh, as they come out of us, there's a catalyst. The Holy Spirit takes both of these and creates an explosion, brings forth life. It's not our responsibility to make the explosion. God is the one. He is the catalyst that will do this. And, and, you, and we need to understand that, you know, the world loves general revelation. It receives general revelation. If we go out and we do good things in the community, uh, we feed the poor, we, we stand against things like uh, sex trafficking, and, and which I think are things that the church can and should stand against. The world is going to applaud us for doing that. That's when we walk in general revelation. But we need to understand the minute that we begin to share special revelation, as we begin to share the gospel that Jesus had to come to earth because we are sinful people who had rebelled against God. When we begin to share that Jesus, our God had to be crucified and put to death for our sins so that we would not be punished. As we begin to reveal uh, that Jesus was buried and was raised again to life to bring us to life. As we begin to, to share the truth, we need to understand that the world is not going to accept that message. But I want to encourage us all, keep shining the light. Keep living and speaking the truth, because in doing so, God will use us to bring light into darkness, order into chaos, and eternal life to those who are death, are in death. And we know that if we will do our part, God will do his. Amen? Amen. Amen.